Want to hear some good news? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, this is great news. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that is the single most important sentence that has ever been written. Boom. It unlocks the meaning and the purpose of all of creation. As a matter of fact, all of creation rotates around this paragraph and this one sentence. This sentence, it's the gospel. And the gospel literally means, it translates as good news. And you'll see that it's actually great news. Now, to fully appreciate the depth of the meaning of this sentence, we have to understand the context of it. And believe it or not, since all of creation rotates around it, it begins with creation. In the beginning, God created everything. And in the creation story, you'll see that that story pauses. It slows down. It downgears so that it will emphasize the creation of man and woman. And the reason is, is because man and woman were created in the image of God. Man, man and woman were created differently. They were created holy, righteous, sadek, perfect. They were created perfect. And it says in the Bible that God said, this is good, this is very good. That mankind would know God and enjoy God. That they would walk in the garden in the cool of the evening. Husband and wife facing out towards one another, looking for opportunities to serve, naked and unashamed. Man was innocent and responsible. It wasn't burdensome. We live in two realms. There's a physical realm and there's a spiritual realm that we don't see. And in that spiritual realm, there is good and there is evil. Satan rules evil. And his hope is to confuse and divide all things God has made that were good. Milton, in his uh, novel, Paradise Lost, he says this about this creation story. Satan thought that it would cause more injury to God's soul to injure that which he loves most than to actually try to injure God himself, right? I mean, we, we kind of feel like, pick on me, don't pick on my children or my wife, right? And Satan says, I, I know how to injure God. I'll injure this man and this woman, and injure us he did, and now we hide, and now we blame those we love. This is how it happened. Again, it, this is, the idea here is that, is that Adam and Eve had a freedom that none of us have enjoyed because we're bent, but they were completely innocent. And, and in that freedom, they were to trust their king for joy and provisions to be content. And they showed that obedience and showed that dependence upon the Lord by, by being grateful and by abstaining from eating from this one tree, the tree of the, of the fruit of good and evil. And then Satan enters this picture to injure what God loves the most. And again, I'll elaborate using Paradise Lost. I like the way he does this. He says that Eve go, or Satan goes to Eve with clever and subtle arguments suggesting that if she were to eat from this tree, that she could have what she desired to be a goddess. And that, in fact, 
God lied, that if she were to eat from that tree, she would not die. And so she takes from the tree, and she eats from it. And Milton says, and the earth groans. All is lost. And she goes to Adam and tells Adam what she's done. And remember this, know this, that no man has ever loved a woman at this depth or in this level of purity. And he is horrified at the news. And he has a new kind of fear, a fear of a loneliness that he has never experienced. It, it, before, when he was without her, that was a kind of loneliness. But now he's, been, he's experienced love, and he decides that he would share her fate, whatever it is, because he would rather be with her in that fate than to be lonely and without her. And so he eats, and the earth groans, but now more so, all is lost. That night, their sexual encounter was completely void of the innocence that once protected it. They woke up the next morning and filled with shame, and they immediately covered themselves, the parts of their bodies that were meant to be a gift to one another. They wept they blamed. All is lost. All of paradise is lost. Nature all around us. Now it inflicts storms and floods and earthquakes. The animal kingdom, once in harmony with one another, now they prey upon one another. The animals that used to enjoy the presence of man and woman now flee in fear. The rhythm of work and rest, now it becomes burdensome. Marriage, it's a competition. You have to get what you want. Death, death enters. Adam and Eve are banished from the garden where there's a tree of perpetual youth, and they are expelled where they will grow old, and they will surely die. There are two realms. There's a physical realm and a spiritual realm, and in the spiritual realm, the angels grieved. They saw the injury to their great king. They saw that his heart and soul was broken. Their, the righteousness of Adam and Eve, have, it has been bent. It is broken. And these angels know that man could never earn it back. And the demons, oh, they danced. They enjoyed the sorrow and the grief that they brought to God. And they knew that it was the very righteousness of Yahweh that would keep him from having the relationship they were designed to have. It was his righteousness and their bent that would prevent them from knowing and enjoying him. They knew that Yahweh could not change his standards, look the other way, turn a blind eye. There must be a righteous demand for death, body, soul, and spirit. And so death now reigns in both realms. This is what took place. The angels wept, and they whispered, what will Yahweh do? What can Yahweh do? And the demons laughed, and they shouted, What will he do? What can he do? 
And God Almighty said this, I will put enmity between Satan and her descendant, and you will bite his heel, and he will crush your head. Only I can fix this, and I will. Salvation will have to be a miracle. Salvation must be a gift from God. That's the story. And the story continues, and it doesn't take long that we have our first murder. It's in the first generation. And those chapters are a picture of all human history. And it is, it is a digression where each generation is worse than the one that precedes it until a sentence comes to us that says, every thought of man's heart was only on evil continuously. That's who we are. That's what bent looks like. That's what it means to be broken. The whole human struggle of trying to know God and trying to enjoy God, it is mostly just this. It is proof positive that we can't fix this. This bent is past our skills and ability to do anything about. The more we try, the farther behind we get. The angels know this. They continue to wonder, what will God do? What can God do? And the demons, they mock Look at the little image bearers now. Look how quickly they descend. Here's why. Here's why the angels know this. this is, he, they grieve for us. This is why the demons dance, because they know this. Every saint that has ever come close to understanding the nature of God agrees with this. The standard for intimacy with God is sadek. That's what it looks like. That's the problem. We lost the gift of God, that type of being in his image that brought us to that place, that, that, er, that, that we were made perfect and holy and sadek, righteous. We were made righteous. But what does that even mean? Right? We can use circular definitions where it means holy and righteous and these sorts of things, but what does that mean? And throughout the Older Testament, we get, a, we get occasionally we get these pictures that bring us in a more vivid way. This is what that word means. And then when we do, we realize we'll never have it if it's up to us. One of the words that's brought to our mind is scales. Sometimes the Bible says you have to have righteous scales or sadek scales. Or weights. Sometimes it's just referring to weights. And occasionally you'll see one of the saints will say, you know what? I've, I've acquired that. Job says that. In comparison to his three counselors and this other younger man that joins him, he says this. He says, let God weigh me with righteous sadek weights and let God know my integrity and all is well until God shows up with those certified perfect Wait and says, is this what you're referring to, Job? This is what you want me to judge you by? Four chapters, God reveals just a little bit of what true righteousness is. And Job says not a word. It's followed by six sentences of repentance. Claiming to be wise, we become fools. Another passage in the Bible tries to show us what it means as a plumb line. This is a construction tool, or sometimes it's even a level. It says in Isaiah, and I will make justice, Sadek, a plumb line, and righteousness, Sadek, a level. And, and just to be clear, 
this is a governing tool that only shows you what is out of line. It's a string that, 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 that hangs perfectly straight or a level that's bubbled showing exactly what is either too far or too short of what the standard is. That's what it means. That's a concrete definition of sadek. And, and, and listen, this, again, just right out of Romans chapter 1, we, we know the righteous decrees from God. And we not only violate them, but we give hearty approval to those who practice such things. Another definition, the most common one in both Older and New Testament, is the word referring to justice. It's a forensic term. It's a courtroom. It means that an authority declares in front, in front of all people that this particular person is absolutely innocent, is w- without sin, without guile. They have done no wrong. That's what sadak means in, in this judicial context. And it, it, it makes it obvious when we see in Romans chapter 2, the conclusion he comes to, that there is no, we are without excuse. Because when we judge one another, we condemn ourselves because we practice the very thing that we condemn people for. So we can't even, we can't, even in this category of judgment and justice, the more we judge others, the more we condemn ourselves. So the word sadek, this gold standard for intimacy with God, to know him and to enjoy him, it means to be as, as righteous as perfect certified weights. It means to have a character as straight as a plumb line. It means to find yourself in the court of God himself blameless. It's the standard for intimacy. It's, it's in a word, perfect. But even that's inadequate. And so we would say perfectly perfect. Absolutely perfect. When you grasp the true meaning of sadek, then you can understand why an old saint that knew about the holiness of God would come to this conclusion about our good day. That one good day where we were somehow distracted from our own ego and did a few good things. That day when we had mm, a righteous deed. In comparison to what true sadikness means, he says this. This is Isaiah speaking. He says, our righteous sadek deeds are like filthy, used, bloody rags. That's the story of mankind. Bent and broken. There is none righteous, Sadek. Not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Not really. There is no one who does good. Not even one. And so death reigns, because death reigns through sin, and all men sin. That's the story. That's what we do. That's what we bring to the relationship. The years go by in this story. The centuries go by. The millennial go by. And then the last Old Testament prophet, standing about waist deep in the Jordan River, says, you know, he's just like a prophet in the wilderness. Who would listen to this old guy? He's a voice that says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. The kingdom of the Lord is at hand. 
Salvation is coming to all sinners. Wait, what? How could that happen? And he points to Jesus. This is John the Baptist. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How could that happen? On Friday, the Friday we call good, that Jesus is king, but he's dying and he's hanging on a cross. He's at Golgotha so that all the world could see what God is doing before man and the spiritual realm. And he dies because he had to, because the wage of sin is death. And then he rose. And on Resurrection Sunday morning, he whispered this, Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? And this time, it was the sun that shook. Salvation is a miracle. Righteousness would have to be a gift. Let me explain. Let, I'm sorry, let the Bible explain. Let me get out of this way. Romans chapter 3, here's what happened on Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. This righteousness, the sadiqness, is given to us, a gift, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified, pronounced sadek, freely, that's that judicial, freely by his grace, a gift, through the redemption that came in and by Christ Jesus. That's what's happening. Next verse, God publicly displayed, remember we'll come back, God publicly displayed Christ as a payment, as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. He did this to demonstrate his sadiqness. Now that's 20, verse 25, 26 starts with the same phrase. This is the sentence. This is the one. This is the words that has changed all of creation history. God did this to demonstrate his sadiqness, his sadiqness, in the, the righteousness in the present time, so he, too be, he would be both just and the one who justifies those who are, have faith in Christ Jesus. He is both sadiq and the one who causes sadekness upon those who believe in Christ Jesus. He is both. Salvation has to be a miracle. How else could it happen? Righteousness is required to be a gift. There is no other way it could happen. It would have to be, it, it's the only way this could happen is if Yahweh were both just and the justifier, righteous and the one who gives righteousness. This is what the angels sing. This is what they sang on that day. When they saw what was happening, they sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's both. He's both just and the one who justifies. They were stunned. They knew God to be loving. They knew him to be compassionate. They knew about his grace. They didn't know this, that he could be both that he could maintain his righteousness, his sadekness, and 
cause that to be spilled upon those image bearers that were bent, and he could straighten that. Publicly displayed as an atonement. Publicly displayed. Atonement means, uh, crudely, ransom payment. But the ransom was to the very righteousness of God. So this public display of, of payment, he's writing this check. This is how much the righteousness of God is owed for the sins of man. I'm making sure everybody sees this. And publicly displayed of his righteousness is not just like the Romans that we're watching, not just like a few Jews that happen to be in town. Publicly displayed is the history of humanity. Publicly displayed, his righteousness means all of, all of heaven and the angelic realm. Publicly displayed to Satan and his demons. No one, no one's going to call God unjust. He puts his righteous son on a cross. The bill is paid. The check clears is proven in the resurrection. That's the point of the resurrection, that he is both just and the one who justifies. Is it any wonder the angels so love to protect us? Because God has attached, right, their, the, 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 they, the identity of their king is attached to our salvation. Is any wonder that demons want to destroy us or make us powerless? It's because the king has attached his identity. His justice, making us just to his identity. His victory is attached to our salvation. That's why they hate us. This is, this is the great exchange, it's called. This is the great exchange. You and I bring our righteousness and sins, and our righteousness are sloppy, bloody, putrid, pungent-smelling rags and we bring that to Golgotha, and we wrap it around the king, and we say, this is all I have. And he says, that's all I will take. And he exchanges that. We give him that on Friday. On our Resurrection Sunday, it is finished. And we receive in this exchange his robe, his ring, his sins. That's the great exchange. The key verse for the, the understanding of the gospel is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the theme of this whole series. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the sadekness of God in him. Salvation is a miracle. Righteousness is a gift. It has to be. Theologians will call this righteousness alien righteousness, alien. It's from another place. It's from a whole nother realm. And yeah, it's alien righteousness. We get it. We receive it. It's not ours that kind of sprang forward. It just kind of dormant. It is an alien righteousness. And that's why it says in 322 of Romans, the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Some writers, theologians will call this uh, passive righteousness, you just receive it. Or positional righteous, just sit there and take it. Stay in your position. This is how God sees you. And it's no wonder. That's why Romans 5 says, therefore, having been justified, made sadek, right, by faith, 
Now we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. It's the only way it could happen. It had to be a miracle. It had to be a gift. You got it? Pop quiz. It's not, I'm, I'm not pop quizzing you. We're just in the Bible here. The next sentence, after the greatest sentence that's ever been penned, after the sentence that says God publicly displayed his righteousness to demonstrate to all of creation that he is both just and the one who justifies those who are in Christ Jesus, the next sentence asks the question this, where then is boasting? Right? What place does boasting have in this conversation? You know, that one day, that half a day where you did something mildly right, all that church attendance, look at all those check stubs. Look at all the goodness you've done. Where then is boasting? The rest of the verse says, it is excluded. You know why? Because we know what sadak means. We, know what, we don't know what it means to be righteous. If you're boasting about anything, you don't understand. Our righteousness is just dirty, filthy, bloody, pungent rags. If you're boasting, you don't understand that righteousness means perfect, perfectly perfect. It means the gold standard is God. You don't understand this. The only way this could ever work is if God is both just and the justifier. He's both Sadek and Sadiq. Why do you keep saying it differently? It's pronounced differently because sometimes it's an adjective and sometimes it's a noun. And that's why there's Sadek and Sadiq. It is, it's an adjective. He is just. And it's a noun. He is the one who justifies. He's both. It's the only way. This is the gospel. This is the conversion. This is a person that puts their head down and prays this. Dear Lord God Almighty, the righteous and holy king, I bring you nothing but dirty, filthy rags. And that is the best I have. I can't fix this. I'm bent. I have to trust that you would fix this. You did fix this. I put all of my faith in that Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. I trust that that was payment in full. I believe that there's nothing else owed on my behalf. I believe in that and that alone. I only hope in a gift. I only hold out for a miracle. And this is what the angels were dancing for. Conversions that are based upon the true gospel. Because behold, if anyone is in Christ, behold, they're a new creation. This is what it means to be both. This is the great exchange. And look who's dancing now. All those that have forever loved the Lord in both realms. Almost out of time. Why? Why would he do that? He's not obliged. He doesn't have to. We make choices. We live with the consequences. It's because he loves us. 
But his love is not like anything that we really know or understand, not on this side, but maybe in the next, it's a perfect love. It's a righteous love. Wait, here we go. It's a holy love. It's a sadiq love. It is this perfectly perfect kind of love. It's a kind of love where the innocent party is like a father that runs and chases down his son that mocked and, and, and rejected him. And this father humbles himself to go and greet his son who's repented. It's the kind of love that goes outside with an older son that has rejected him and has humiliated the father still again because of his self-righteousness. It's that kind of love. It's not like a love that we understand, but this is a love that's stronger than death. This is love that's stronger than death. It is the love of God. It is the love of God publicly displayed so all of creation, past, present, and future, in both realms would know this, that Yahweh God, he's both. He is both just and the one who justifies. Heaven and hell, all of history know this to be true. This great exchange, it starts like this. For Yahweh so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son because only his son could be both just and the one who justifies. And the person that believes that will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the great exchange. That's the gospel. I told you it was good news. <laughs> it's great news. Would you join me in a prayer? I guess we have two prayers here. One, listen, I know a lot of people who attend church for decades and still think they bring something besides sin to the conversation with God. And maybe this survey of all created history helps you understand that you don't have a chance with this. Only God being both does. And so this is what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You believe the trust in the works of Jesus Christ only, and it is sufficient. It's done. If you've never made that declaration of faith, you do that today. You do that today. And I would start by confessing, I thought I brought goodness to this, and I don't know what goodness is. All I brought were filthy, dirty, bloody, pungent, repulsive, my righteousness. Now let's talk about my sin. <laughs> let's pray that. Become a follower of Jesus Christ, a new creature. Receive his righteousness upon your soul. And then for many of us, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate how far we've come. Maybe we should confess that we didn't fully appreciate all that God has done for us and how miraculous this gift has been. If you'd like to talk to someone after the service about more, I know this is coming at you pretty fast. If you'd like to talk to someone after service, whether it's just repenting and taking God's grace for granted, like he owed it to you, you can do that. Pray out loud with them. If you want to hear this, if you want to talk to somebody because this is new and you want to slow this down a little bit so you can unpack it, come on up front after this, this next song. Let's talk about that, okay? This is the most important decision that you'll ever make in your whole life, okay? Let's think through this. Let's pray. Oh, my God.
the great and glorious God, the God is holy and righteous and pure, perfect, perfectly perfect. And we have lost our way. On our good days, we find ways to find sin in our righteous acts and contaminate them. Lord, we bring nothing to you but evil, crooked lines, unrighteous scales, guilt with guilt on it, and that you, you rescue us. Your story is a rescue mission story. Lord, I, I'm grateful for that. Lord, if there are men and women in this auditorium that have been thinking they could earn your favor, I'd ask that they would have a great understanding. Your spirit would convict them that that is a lost way. And that, that attempt to win your approval is from the devil himself. That treadmill never goes anywhere. They are on a, a career path that is a dead end. Lord, I'd ask that they would confess that and they would repent and find a new way. And the way is that you are both. You are both just and the one who gives us as a gift justification. Are there men and women in this auditorium that they think that's what you do? You just forgive. And we've taken that lightly. We don't treat you as the king. So, Lord, we repent of that. And we want to live out of gratitude, not out of obligation, but overwhelming thankfulness for all that you have done for us. We pray this as we live out this holiness in Jesus' name. Amen.